podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Celtic State of Minds. I'm Paul John Dykes and uh, once again delighted to be joined by Natasha Mikko and Lawrence Conley for the Tuesday Bulletin. How are you doing guys? Good to have you back Lawrence. A wee uh, week off for you last week and it all went wrong IT wise so I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're back. And uh, we're looking ahead to the, the real start Natasha of Ange Postacoglu's uh, era and hopefully it is a lengthy and successful era. And I say it's the start because tomorrow is the first game. Normally people go on about dead rubbers and pre-season friendlies not mattering. There's an added interest in tomorrow's game due to the fact that it's the first time we can see how this gaffer is going to line up. It's going to be interesting to see who he utilises. Um, do we even know who's in Wales, Natasha? Have you been doing a bit of digging on that? Well, we do know who's, who is in Wales. Um, we've got a, a list here and I'll, I'll read it out and you can decide for yourselves how this is sounding in preparation of the, the first game of the season. So our squad in Wales apparently comprises of Karamoko Dembele, Liam Shaw, Ewan Henderson, Asazi Orihidi, Greg Taylor, Mikey Johnston, Albion Ayeti, Soro. Callum McGregor, Olivier and Cham, Scott Bain, Chris Ayer, Barkash, Ryan Christie, Tom Rogic, Bolly Bollingoli, Odson Edward, Lee Griffiths, David Turnbull, Stephen Welsh and Callum McGregor. So that to me isn't exactly a very rebuilt Celtic side at this stage, but that is what we've got in Wales. And if that is the squad at the moment, it does leave the question as to what do we need going forward how would this squad fare going into the start of the season how will it fare going into the Champions League qualifiers and who if that squad might actually not be here by the time the Michelin game comes around obviously very shortly that squad to me needs some work and we have a very limited period of time to do it in so it'll be interesting to see who from that and utilises tomorrow night mm -hmm. it might give us some indication of who's going to be there in the next coming weeks um, I hope that he's certainly of the view that if a player is on their way out the door um, you know we're looking at the names on the screen at the moment we're thinking Ayer we're thinking Edward if those players are indeed on their way out the door and if they will not be here by the time that Michelin game rolls around I would be very surprised to see them playing tomorrow night so that could give us some indication as to the future of some of the players yeah. in that squad you know when you read through that there's names in there uh, where you kind of thought they are 
final days at Celtic were long mm. ago and the two that jump out at me as well as those who have been linked to other clubs uh, because obviously Ayer, Edward and Christie have all been linked elsewhere Volleyball and Golly and Olivier and Cham are back in the squad Natasha, I'm, I'm going to ask the question though, right? See when you look at those players uh, Ball and Golly who obviously was involved in the beginning of the end of 10 in a row can't be wholly responsible held wholly responsible for that but you know the cracks began to show after his misdemeanours and then you've got Olivier and Cham Ayer Eddie Christie now last season one of the big aspects of Celtic's uh, downfall was this apparent disharmony within the, in, the, in the side and I mean Neil Lennon's spoken about it we're not just speculating uh, there was a disharmony and players wanted to leave N- a number of those players are still with us mm. I mean how wise is it to still have them in the squad do you think and just looking at them and thinking he might get something out of those four names for example mm. uh, that the previous gaffer couldn't well there's five names including Ball and Golly or is it a case of the fact that we just don't have enough bodies and they've got to be considered as first teamers until such times as they're out the door I think for me it's certainly the latter Um, he can't afford to make the same mistakes we made last season and there's plenty of people around the club I'm talking Kennedy and Strachan and the other coaching staff who knows what happened last season and were there to witness the downfall that was partially caused by retaining players who didn't want to be there anymore. Last year, we asked a few players, it's been well documented, we asked players to extend their playing time at Celtic unnaturally for an extra year. It was time for so many of them to move on. And what we did, as we've discussed, is we almost unnaturally pushed the cycle of these players for one extra year. And that meant retaining players who didn't want to be there. That didn't work. The last thing we can afford to do is have that happen again this season. So for me, it had to be a priority when Ange came in to sit down with these players who perhaps had their eye on other opportunities elsewhere. And again, yes, we're talking about Edward and we're talking about Ayer and we're talking about Christie. One of the priorities for Postacoglu has to be to ascertain whether these players have any possible future at Celtic, whether there is any way he can get them to buy into his era, fully completely bought in, ready to play for him and not just staying there because they have to. If he can't get them to buy into this and make them want to stay then we simply have to move them on as soon as possible because we can't afford to have, like we've said, players who don't want to be there anymore sell them get the money and fund this rebuild. And that's something we're going to come on to and discuss Mm. is whether we actually are waiting to sell these players to fund the rebuild. Because as we can see from that list of names read out, you know, there's a lot of players there who we don't expect to be here next season. That squad needs a lot of players to go and maybe those players need to go for the new players to come in. This certainly seems to be a massive concern uh, when I'm I'm trying to gauge how Celtic fans are feeling on social media, Lawrence. Uh, People looking really at the uh, players who have come into the club and it's, you know, on the one hand, you're talking about what Ange Postacoglu seen as development pathways for players uh, like Liam Shaw um, and also Uragidi been practising that one as well just to make sure. Pathways. Now that's fine, that's all fair and well but uh, the other side of that is people are saying we've got a couple of freebies from a Sheffield Wednesday team who weren't that great and they've just been relegated. Um, Also I take into account Lawrence that the the timing of this um, is against Ange Postecoglou. Um, He's walked into a club who already have the scout network in place, all these players identified. He touched on that. He said that when we were going for Urugidi, um, it's a player the club had tracked for some time uh, but he did suggest that obviously he had a part to play in the decision making process of him coming in um, so yeah I do get that it's a, it's a timing issue but when you're looking firstly at last season's issues and the fact that we had the disharmony in the dressing room and this seemed to be quite toxic um, you know when we're talking to uh, people like Neil Lennon who has spoken about it uh, guys that wanted away etc 
it's obviously been part of the problem. Um, what's your thoughts on that? We've got a few of these guys uh, in Wales at the moment preparing for Angie's first game tomorrow. It's three o'clock tomorrow afternoon, actually, isn't it? Against Sheffield Wednesday. So um, in about 24 hours, 25 hours time, uh, we'll be getting the team line. That'll be interesting. What's your thoughts on this? Uh, the want away stars. Should they be part of that, that group? I suppose last season the message to them was look, you want away, you're not going. This season is like you want away. If you want away, perform pre-season, put yourself in the short window. You know, stay to Mitchell and put yourself in the short window. And it's how we realise the best price for our assets. If we were to leave them back in Glasgow and we'll say, right, we've nothing to do with the squad, any suitors coming in for them, are you really going to be able to drive the price up? And so I think it's a different message to them, isn't it? You know, Eddie, yeah, we want to sell you last year iron, we want to sell you Christie's, only got six, seven months left. So, yeah, the one away stars, it's well, if you want to go, go, but, you know, perform and you'll get a better move. You know, nobody's going to buy underperforming players from us, or, and we're not certainly not going to get the best price for them. So, I think they've got to be involved. Mutual hands, you know, it's getting closer and closer. I can see, like, Ayer, Edward being involved in that game, potentially Christie as well. So, you know, yeah, you'd want them up to speed and playing. So two weeks from today, uh, of course, we play Mitchell. And what Lawrence was saying there, though, Natasha, if you look mm. at last season going out to France, uh, we criticised uh, Lennon and Celtic for leaving players behind. I think one of the players uh, was Tommy Logic. Uh, obviously, Lee Griffiths has been uh, criticised for his, his fitness and he was left behind, but there was four or five players left behind. What Lawrence is saying there, I've got to uh, look at that and say, well, I agree with this because, you know, there has to be um, some kind of team bonding um, as well because some of these guys may end up playing competitive football for Celtic this season we, we know that for example there's interest in Chris Iyer and they're haggling about a, a couple of million pounds here or there I think when Norwich City was the last club mentioned Newcastle have shown an interest um, as well Crystal Palace have been linked with a move for Ryan Christie and of course the Leicester interest has cooled on Eduard um, but it really is just a case of knuckle down because these are Celtic players and you know if you're available for selection in two weeks time for Mitchelland we need you because um, we haven't brought in the, the mm. high calibre of player that I think a lot of the Celtic fans were crying out for particularly after last season's debacle. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think you do have to sort of look at both elements. So what I've said is that, you know, if they're not going to be here in two weeks' time, if they're not going to play a role in this season, then I don't want to see them feature in a, a pre-season friendly. But then, you know, you take the other point of view on board and you think, well, maybe they will have to for lack of other numbers. If we're going to go out and give her all against Michelin, if we have to put the best squad on the park, maybe that is going to have to include players who won't be here at the start of the season. So I said what I've said is that, you know, if we see no Ayer and no Edward tomorrow night that suggests it away well perhaps not perhaps they will play tomorrow or tomorrow afternoon because they will have to play in the Michelin game because they won't be sold by then so they'll play in the Michelin game and then leave before the start of the season that's not the position I wanted to find ourselves in you know I wanted to find ourselves ready to hit the ground running by the time these Champions League qualifiers came around not playing players because we had to play them despite the fact that they're going to be leaving in a couple of weeks and and that's a bit frustrating and again it comes back to the amount of time we've wasted it's been, you know, very positive around Celtic at the moment. I think the momentum's going in the right direction. But let's look at the position that we're in. It's July. Mm-hmm. We're in July. This massive rebuild is needed this summer. And all we have done is sign two youth players on a free. We paid development fees. So we're now the 6th of July, massive rebuild summer. And I don't think we've moved very much further forward other than playing, you know, a couple of a couple of young young players. That's not where I wanted us to be and it is very frustrating. Obviously, you know, Andrew's relatively new in the door, Mackay's very relatively new into his role and the criticism for where we find ourselves isn't at the, the current setup so much as the fact that the old setup took so long to get us into this new setup. Um, so the frustration's still there and here we are again heading into a Champions League qualifier frustratingly underprepared and really ready for Celtic to break that cycle. 
Well, uh, this is it. You, you've been waiting for a, a number of years to break that cycle uh, in terms of the preparation for the Champions League qualifiers. Natasha, let's dip into the comments section. Uh, thank you, everybody, for getting involved in a Celtic State of Mind bulletins on a daily basis. This season, just like last season, we'll be covering all the games. Now, um, last season, that would have probably taken in about 60 games or so, but uh, we didn't get it set up in time for pre-season. We will be this time. And we'll also be covering the women's games that are live and the Colts games that are live. We'll talk a wee bit more about them later on. But thanks, everybody, for tuning in on Facebook and YouTube and also on Twitter. And if you subscribe to uh, A State of Mind on YouTube, you will be put into a prize draw. And we will have prizes every single month. This month it is a platinum disc for Urban Hymns, uh, the uh, multi-platinum selling album from The Verve. Lawrence Conley, you'll remember it well, 1998, I think. And we've somehow managed to get our hands on uh, this and we're giving it away as a prize. All you need to do is subscribe on YouTube. Yep, Lawrence Conley, the, the Verve. Aye, I mean, massive band in my time, uh, showing my age back in, back in the 90s. Um, now, there's loads of people coming in on a daily basis, people like Maravchik25, who comes in on the bulletin and comments regularly on YouTube. Uh, we appreciate all that kind of interaction because, you know, we've got a good team of contributors here at Axon, um, a good spread of age groups, etc., and experiences, but we're not always right. Uh, a lot of people say we're never right, Natasha, but uh, we want as many comments as possible from people like Maravchik25. So good afternoon. And uh, Donnie's boy comes in to say, I would say that's a good possibility. And as always, Celtic spending depends on money coming in. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got lots of other comments coming in. We're going to be dipping in, in and out um, as the show progresses. Here's one for you, Natasha, to check your list again. Is Fed back training? He's not part of the team in Wales, is he? Or was he part of your, your list there? Good question. Not sure if he's been spotted or not. Someone might be able to tell us from some of the, the photos that have been seen, but I don't believe he's been spotted yet. Um, if anyone has a photo that would suggest otherwise, show us it. Um, but yeah, an interesting question. I don't know the answer to. I was looking at you know the, the whole thing about having three players uh, for each position going into a new season, which I totally understand. And uh, the one area of the park really um, that we're lacking on at the moment, uh, following the departure of Moy El Yunusi, Lawrence Conley, is on the left-hand side where at the moment we've only got Mikey Johnston. Um, we've been linked to a lot of players over the last few weeks. I don't see many in that vein though who would uh, be back in Mikey up do you see him as a first team pick this season is it time is this a make or break season for Mikey Johnson yeah I, th I think it's very much make, make or break playing on the left wing I don't know could Bolly play there could we push further forward as the number one audio company iHeartMedia gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iHeartResults.com for more We've not been linked with any, but maybe I'm just wanting you know a couple of weeks to look at the players, see them competitively mm. before spending his budget, you know, because it's a limited budget he's going to have just now, uh, and maybe he's making the choice going what's an answer. I want to see them in a couple of families before I spend my budget for the season, and uh, and that's me done. Maybe he really he wants to test the players out, but yeah, for for Mikey, obviously suffered from injury uh, last season, so I think it's very much. Uh, this season's never, never for him, isn't it? It's, he, he's got to prove his work is. But hopefully, I'm just the guy that can bring players on. You're, you're looking at a lot of young players in it that have travelled. Mm. You know, it could be big seasons for them. And seems to, you know, age isn't a barrier for him. You know, Dembele is in his last year of his contract. If he if he does well, these friendlies and he starts off in the team, there's potential that Ange could then could then use him. I think there's a few players in that category, Lawrence, the make-or-break kind of category, uh, the younger players like Dembele. I would also say Henderson's in that category as well. If you don't start playing the games like, you know, Welsh did last season, then it's likely... Uh, Natasha that these players will be moved on if not during the season then certainly at the season's end because they're getting to that age now where they need first team football now Noel Doran comes in on YouTube to say would be a very disappointing scenario if they are holding for sales given they've already announced a strong uptake in season tickets another example of club mentality not changing 
I totally understand why people would be thinking that, Natasha, but I just think in terms of the timing, this is a deeper issue. Um, had we, you know, and I'm not saying being premature in making the decisions because we were calling for change in October last year, you'll remember, because obviously at that time, I don't think everybody was on that board, on that bus rather, on the Boise bus of change. Um, but they've left it too late. They've left everything too late. They've left the departure of the previous manager too late. They spent far too much time on trying to get Eddie Howe in and they've taken far too long to get the manager in. And this is the result of all of that, isn't it? So it goes right back seven or eight months ago it does and we could almost you know we're not saying we told you so but to, to a certain extent yes you were calling this out you know not only at the end of last year at the start of this year we were so frustrated at the length of time it was taking and then putting Kennedy in charge for the remainder of games again just felt like lost time <laughs> and we're now seeing the repercussions of that lost time now because now all of a sudden the Champions League qualifiers are just about here and we've still not really brought anyone in. We've not offloaded anyone. So at this stage, I would be hoping that we were starting to, you know, bed a new squad together, start to get the new squad playing Angie's style of football, starting to get them sort of knowing each other, working well together, working on, you know, their new formation, their training, their tactics, really forming this sort of new team ready to hit the ground running for these Champions League qualifiers. Not only are we not at the stage of bedding in the new players, we don't even have the new players. You know, they're not even here yet. So we're so far back in where I wanted us to be at this stage. If you had to put a business plan down, you know, of a project and our project was the rebuild, there's not a chance that you would have us in this position on the 6th of July. And this has been caused by the delay back in January, February, March and the failure to act then combined with the fact that we spent so long going down the, the sort of how route mm -hmm. and I think that sort of hampered us as well and that's probably something that in fairness to the board, can we say that? In fairness to the board, that's probably something they didn't expect. They didn't expect for that to take so long and then not work out. So that's probably put us another couple of months behind our, our schedule timing as well. So it's really been a catalyst of things and we found ourselves again at this stage in July, not where we wanted to be going into these games. But we will see, we will see. When, when you look at some of the, the kind of positivity around the changes, the positive changes, Lawrence, that have happened at the club. Because we've got to be balanced here. So there's been positive changes that have happened at the club. For example, and we'll touch on this later on, um, embracing fan media. That's something that has happened largely since Dom Mackay has been announced as the, the new Celtic CEO. And I don't mean the 1st of July, obviously, since he was announced. Certain changes were afoot around about this time. Things that weren't happening at the club uh, because certain people at the club didn't buy into that. So there has been positive changes in that respect. There's been positive um, uh, results in terms of the season ticket sales. So a couple of weeks back was apparently the best one-day sales figure we've ever had. And, you know, if the figures that are coming out are to be believed and are accurate, we're probably sitting on around 50,000 season tickets. We've got a new manager in who has his own philosophy and, uh, you know, there's been some negativity around uh, the process by which he got the job, but it's a new era. Can you understand, though, Lawrence Conley, um, that there is an element of Celtic supporters who are unhappy due to the fact that we're two weeks away from Mitchelland and we don't seem prepared for the game as of yet. And they're looking at the board who are still in place um, for the, you know, their inactivity or their inability to see that these changes should have happened much, much sooner. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> You know, I don't think anyone would want to be here. I don't think Andrew would want to be facing one of his biggest tests, his first competitive game against Mutualand, without having a chance to assemble his own squad and change things and having more time. A lot of this is down to the board. Natasha touched on how I was reading the Eddie Jordan, sorry, Simon Jordan story. Mm. He done this to Palace. He dragged them along for months. How did Celtic not pick that up? <laughs> you, you know, the, the guy had a track record of doing that. Yeah. So we're looking at the board there, and this. Uh, it's the, the most sales at season ticket sales in any one day. Yeah, but we, we sold them over a shorter period of time. You used to be able to, you know, two, two months to keep extending the deadline. This was a matter of weeks you had to buy them. So it might be the most sales in any one day, but you're selling them over a shorter period of time. So it was probably always going to happen this year that you had the most sales in any one day. 
whether we, we reach last season's levels, I suppose it's the the level of sales we, we, we sell rather than oh, we sold the most in one day. You know, if we if we sit in fifty, brilliant. You know, if it's forty five, you're starting to worry. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of disappointment and a lot is to do with the board. Uh, Meechland's two weeks away. Hopefully, Ange can put a team together and convince Edward that it's a short window. Same with Ayer, short window time for you. Because mm-hmm. they're, they're definitely two huge players for us. You know, I'm not too sure about we'll, we'll, you know, Christy and Champ for me, but I miss a bit hot and cold as players. There's other players that are going to be here long, longer term that would maybe try to persuade they're going to be part mm-hmm. part of it, the long term and you'd be wanting to play in them. You know, you've got Forrest outright, so Christy, number 10, you show that's between Roger and Turnbull this season. So I, I, I don't see him so much put, playing a part in it. But yeah, I can understand why there's so much frustration. Uh, the how thing was just, just crazy how long it's dragged on, how far it's put us back. And then when you, you hear Jordan speaking, he'd done it to Palace. And you're thinking, mm. if he'd done it before, where was the... The due, the due diligence, yeah, absolutely, Lawrence. It's a good point. And I think that, you know, it's one of these ones where the rug was firmly pulled from under the feet of Celtic Natasha, and it was quite embarrassing. So you've got that. In fact, it was extremely embarrassing. You've got that scenario. I mean, we're obviously right behind Ange. You know, this is just a different scenario that uh, resulted in, in him then coming into the, uh, the spotlight as a potential candidate and now the manager. But if you think about how we approached the um, you know the challenge for 10 in a row last season where we've gone out and we've spent £5 million on a goalkeeper £5 million on a striker massive wages on guys like, like Salt and Duffy mm-hmm. and with very little return very little return indeed then we sell a player for £11.5 the money's not been reinvested because we bring in John Joe Kenny there are Celtic fans out there who are thinking What's happening? Why aren't we spending? And it does beg the question, are we waiting for reinvestments uh, with the, the likes of Ayer and Eddie departing? So I can totally understand the frustration. Strange love comes in to say, I don't think so. It's more to do with Ange assessing the squad, like uh, Lawrence was saying earlier, before spending precious, precious treasure, in my opinion. Mm. Um, again, I think timing-wise, it's just, you know, we're two weeks away from Mitchelland. Natasha reads out that that list of players um, on paper 18 months ago it looks a completely different list because we've seen the last year and how many of those players have been off forum how many of the guys I'm surprised are even still at the club um, Lawrence talks about this impact where a manager comes in and he gets the best we've spoken about it you know he gets the best out of players who may not have featured prominently previously O'Neill famously did it um, certain players really stepped their game up when Ronnie Dyla was in charge. I mean, I think McGregor certainly became yeah. a first-team player during that period. Brennan Rogers comes in, Scott Brown gets a new lease of life. Mm-hmm. You would expect the same thing to happen with Ange Postacoglu, but we can't bank on it. Mm-hmm. We don't know for sure that McGregor's going to get uh, back to his best and we're going to find a, a striker and a Yeti and a goalkeeper in Barkas. Do you think there's a bit of that, that uh, we've already invested in some players and hopefully a new manager and a new approach um, will, to use a cliche, make them look like new signings? Yeah, I'm loath to use that because that sounds like an excuse used by the club when they don't actually put their hand in their pocket. They tell us Griffiths is like a new signing and, and various things like that. So I'm, I'm loath to use that. But one thing I, I do accept is that Ange can't you know panic buy here. He can't just buy the names that are already on our list and and try and force them into some sort of squad. I mean, like we've talked about, Celtic will have a database of players that they're looking at. That's why I wasn't too concerned that, you know, Urihide wasn't actually Angie's choice. He would have looked at the database of players Celtic had and he would have had the final approval on that signing. He will be doing that with others, I'm sure of it. But it doesn't happen overnight. You know, he hasn't been in the door that long. He's going to have been given a list of players by the Celtic scouting department. And say, these are players we've looked at. These are players that we've got on the maybe list, the must purchase list, the we're going to make an offer for list. He has to be given the time, not only to assess the squad, to look at the positions he needs to fill, to consider whether there's any players in our current squad who could fill those positions, and then look at this database of players that we'll have been scouting. That isn't a short process, and it's not you know it's not Angie's fault he hasn't been given the the time he might need to do that. But he'll 
know himself that he can't rush that process either. He'll need to take the the proper time to look at it and do his due diligence on the players on that list Mm -hmm. before giving the go-ahead to anyone coming in. And it's what we want as well. You know, we've been crying out for the fact that it has to be Ange making the decisions. So what we need to do is give him the time to make the decisions. Do we have that time? No, we don't. But that, you know, that sort of speaks to why there is no one sort of coming in the door already. He wasn't going to come in in week one, be ready to to bring new players. And it is going to take time. It's just frustrating that we are running out of that time. Mm. And equally frustrating is the fact that we are no clearer on whose backroom staff are going to be. You know, we're talking about the fact that there's no big movement in terms of players. There's no players coming in. There's no players going out. Equally, that could be applied to the backroom team. And I know he said, and he said in the fan media press conference that what he's going to do is he's going to work with these people, he's going to get to know them, he's going to see who can fit. That's applied to the players. It's also going to apply to the backroom team. And I think when he said that, the Celtic fans' sort of resounding response was, yes, absolutely, that's fine, that's what we want you to do, we want these to be your decisions, we want you to assess the squad and decide what you need. But that was, you know, that's a couple of weeks ago now. You know, we're another couple of weeks further down the line and there's still no movement. So, yes, I think it's great that he's going to bring his own people in or retain people that he wants or move people on. But when is he going to do that? I think Mm. now we need to start seeing some movement. And I'm hopeful that that's going to start happening over the next week or so. We'll have a wee look at some of the players we've been um, linked with. I'm going to throw this one over to... To Lawrence. This is coming in from David Kelly, who believes that we are watching a downsizing. Why would anyone else or anyone believe anything different? I think uh, what David's saying there, you've got to take into account as well, Lawrence, where we are in terms of the fact that we've not had any bodies through the door for the last, um, how long now? 15 months. We've not had that match day revenue. So we are, you know, I don't think that the downsizing aspect is simply down to the club saying, right, we're downsizing. Um, I think they're playing it safe. Oh, definitely been prudent. I think they've got to be. You know, who knows when we'll get full stadiums in and and what's going to happen with COVID in the winter. There'll be other lockdowns. So I I think Celtic are playing it safe, definitely. Uh, We're going to have a finite spot spot to spend. I think the big signings, whether it's three or four, will really depend on how much money we bring in for Eddie and Ayer. I think, you know, Cham, let's talk about a million quid. I think people would graph that just now. It just to get him out the door and you're not going to get anything for Christie in these last six months are you or a million or less I can't see him generating a lot so Celtic have got to be prudent you don't want to end up spending money and then all of a sudden another lockdown your revenues drop because that's Celtic's biggest revenue the club's you know in a spiral then isn't it so we've got to be prudent in what they're doing but maybe Ange's that something in his favour that he develops young players who are generally kind of cheaper in terms of the wages, etc. Mm-hmm. So perhaps he's the right manager at the right time to, to be facing uh, a rebuild like this. Certainly, when, when Dilly, Ronnie Dowley was in charge, the young players seemed to buy in more. You know, with the senior pros uh, revolt, I think yeah. Scott, Scott Brown survived from that. It's pretty lucky to survive it. Uh, so perhaps the young players will, will buy in more the Ange and uh, on earth a few diamonds on earth another McGregor another Tierney who knows well we shall see now I'm going to come back to you Natasha because you mentioned the fan media conference um, yeah. where you were grilling Ange Postacoglu on behalf of a Celtic state of mind um, I'm not going over all ground here because that story has rumbled on since you were last on the show last week and it uh, has ruffled a few feathers this fan media conference isn't it I mean uh some from some people from prominent figures from the mainstream media got stuck right into the fact that um, it didn't get off to the best start. Let's just say. Do you think they were a wee bit unfair though? Because you know it was a one-on-one media conference almost. I think the biggest mistake was, I would suggest, with hindsight, going out live probably was the biggest mistake. Do you know? I think the the fan media conference was was excellent. We've discussed this on the show. I thought that the contributors, for the vast majority, posing the questions were excellent. They were asking really meaningful questions, questions that fans wanted to hear, and questions that added a real insight into our knowledge of Postecoglou and our knowledge of Mackay. Was there a couple of questions that were maybe 
a bit left field, will we call them that? Um, yeah, there was. And do you know what? That might happen is that as this sort of starts up, you know, it's a very new thing, inviting people from fan media in to talk to the manager and talk to the, the new CEO is a new thing. So is it going to go 100% smoothly at all times? It's not, but it, on the most part, the takeaway from it is that it's been very positive. The fans found it very positive. I believe the club found it very positive. Fan media found it very positive. Did the mainstream media find it positive? Maybe not, and then you have to question why that is. Um, maybe maybe they don't like their own grounds being used by Celtic. They've always had it their own way when it comes to having access to the club and to the, the manager and to the CEO. And the club are now showing some initiative to start doing things slightly differently. Um, mm. And perhaps they don't like that. But the fans like it, and for the club's perspective, that's the important thing. And I think what we've seen Mackay doing since he's come in is try and focus on that. Apparently, he is very big on fan engagement, and I think we are beginning to see signs of that. The fan media press conference was only the only start of it, I hope, and it has shown signs that that was only the start of it. If you move on to thinking about that mic'd up session with Postacoglu, already that's another new thing that perhaps Mackay has introduced. So firstly, a new idea, having fans in to interview them. Then secondly, we had this mic'd up session and both of those things have been received so positively by the fans. It's very, very encouraging about where this can go under Mackay. Because one thing that we criticised last year was we criticised the lack of engagement, the lack of communication and the lack of transparency. These two things combined, the fan media press conference and the mic'd up session, are addressing all of those issues. They're being, you know, very engaging by saying, come in and talk to us as fan media. They're being very transparent by saying, here's what goes on on, on a training pitch. And it's just received such a positive output from the Celtic fans through very little effort, really, by the club. It hasn't taken much to reap the benefits in terms of the positivity we've seen from the fans. If you know, we go on to talk about that mic'd up session... Did he say anything groundbreaking? Did he, you know, reinvent the wheel? No, like, but what it did do was just give the fans that insight for three minutes into him and what he's about and what happens on the training pitch. And yes, it might not be groundbreaking in terms of the information we received, but the positivity that gathered the club and the goodwill from the fans from that clip is invaluable. Mm. Putting that out on Twitter and social media pages and the reaction it got is absolutely invaluable from a point of view and that didn't take much just to shift that momentum that attitude and just get even more people on board with this new era so a very smart move by Mackay and I hope to see more very smart moves from him in terms of that fan engagement side of things I'm going to link this in to the new third kit okay. uh, but before I do that um, I was delighted to hear Postacoglu's reaction to Barkas making a save. I thought it was brilliant. I don't know if it was because he made a save or he was so enthusiastic about it. But yes, all about that. Lawrence, I'm going to come to you. You've obviously had a long relationship with uh, the Scottish authorities as a Celtic fan and also the Scottish media. And what I would say is, you know... Uh, the Axon team is strong. We've got, in the background, I think 22 people who are involved in one way or another with a Celtic state of mind. Uh, you will see maybe 12 or 13 of them on the Axon bulletin. Uh, but we do have a, you know, a production company who... Uh, Obviously, we work alongside as part of, and we have the ability not only just to stream live, but we've got the ability uh, to create fully produced uh, content, which we were going to be doing a lot more of this season. Obviously, we were hamstrung last year because of the lockdown and isolation and all that kind of stuff, but we have everything in place. So you will be seeing your 1230 bulletin, you will be seeing your match day coverage, but you'll also see loads of other complementary uh, programming that uh, we're working hard on, which is fully produced, multi-camera, edited, looking great and uh, Axom for this season uh, will be announcing some very exciting uh, developments in that respect. But within the Axom team, we've got a few student journalists, a few people studying media. Um, I'm not about to say that everybody in the media are bad people because that's not true. I've met a lot of great people who are journalists in Scotland. Yep. I've named several of them on this broadcast and I, I don't mind naming them, you know, Alison McConnell, Hugh McDonald, Stephen McGowan. These are all great people who I've met who 
just so happened to work in journalism in Scotland, Kevin McKenna unbelievable uh, writer as well so there's loads of them and our very own Tony Haggerty of course let's not forget Anthony um, who contributes to a Celtic state of mind so I don't think it's as black and white Lawrence is saying media bad fan media good but when you get certain people who I would describe as agitators amongst the Celtic support who work in the mainstream media calling Celtic fan media fundamentalists I think they've taken it too far yeah, definitely. Listen, the opening salvo on the, the fan media was, uh, I don't think anyone thought that was it. Went down well that statement, and I think whoever made it, I don't, I don't know, was probably regretting it. It was just kind of car crash stuff, wasn't it? It wasn't anyone from Axon. Can I just get that disclaimer in there? Listen, but maybe it's the reason we shouldn't have went out live, but I think everybody outside of that done really well. You know, if, if they want to season that, and that's the only thing is Natasha's highlight, they can highlight it at 60 minutes. Mm. Really? You, you know, sorry, two minutes was bad out of 60. Jeez. Uh, you know, if that, if that was them in their papers, they only had two, two bad out of 60 or two bad stories out of 60, I think uh, it'd be a vast improvement on, on mainstream media. Leaving all the Scott, Celtic fans just because what they've heard they are a fan media, but, you know, it's judgmental. Perhaps it sells papers, they go to the extremes, it, it gets them a headline and they can write a a nice story. Doesn't matter if I, you know, but how true it is or not, I suppose. But, you know, it, it gets in the headline, doesn't it? The main thing is what the Celtic fans thought of it, because I, I really don't care what mainstream media thought of it. Uh, and, and any Celtic fan that spoke to it about it is absolutely delighted with fan media being involved. Mm-hmm. With Ange mic'd up. I've not, not heard any Celtic fan said, you know what, I don't want to see that again. That was just disastrous. You know, it's been completely positive. And, you know, hats off to Tom McKay. If this is the standard of changes that he's bringing in, brilliant. Like Natasha says, Lawrence, a lot of this, I'm going. To, I'm not going to um, take the credit away from Don McKay, but some of it's basic. Mm. You know, some of it could have been done a long, long time ago. And one of the things, because we are getting um, a lot of comments coming in in relation to the new kit, one of the things that I would suggest is you continue that fan engagement, not fan media as such, fan engagement, when it comes to things like uh, merchandise that they are expecting fans to buy. Surely it's basic, um, Natasha, that you would get fans or fan groups involved in the the concept uh, state the concept stage of Celtic kits. Mm. Um, now, I've obviously done a lot of uh, research on Celtic kits. I'm not going to use it as a plug, but I've written a book on Celtic kits that's not yet released. Um, and I've been studying the Celtic kit, the history of the Celtic kit for six years now, um, as well as casually as a fan. And there's been some horror shows, let's be honest. Most of them <laughs> have been away kits, I've got to say. This one has, I think, divided opinion. Um, I've seen uh, a brilliant mock-up and it was from Twitter user Celtic Lisboa who basically repositioned the crests so you had the Adidas and Celtic crest repositions he's done it as a sponsorless top which apparently is not going to be made available but check out Celtic Lisboa on Twitter he's repositioned the badges and it looks like a cracking kit with that simple change. We know that it's inspired by the stained glass window that used to adorn the entrance of Celtic Park, which is now within Celtic Park, um, which, by the way, you can buy. You can buy the stained glass windows, full-size stained glass windows, at the penalty spot at Sword Street in Glasgow. There's your plug, Kev. Um, but I think when you look at this this jersey, Natasha, it begs the question, surely get the fans involved at an early stage of these things. Yeah, do you know what? We're not saying that the fans should design the kits or anything like that. But having someone involved in the in the process, just to say, you know, not, oh, it should be this or it should be that. More to say, are you sure about that? Because I think people will hate it. Um, and obviously we know the difficulties in having anyone represent the views or the tastes and kit of the full Celtic support. But someone there just to say... The bad shouldn't be in the middle of the top. Come on, the, the crest has to be has to be top left. Surely, just just that could have saved, I think, a whole lot of negativity around that third kit. Um, yeah, it's. Do you know what the thing is? It's it's fine if they just hadn't put the badge in the middle. The Celtic badge should never be in the middle of the top. Um, it always has to be in its, its usual position. And just having perhaps a fan involved in the process of creating that kit, just to say. Don't put the badge in the middle, guys. Come on. Might have saved a whole lot of hassle. But, you know, 
third kit will it be will it be worn we remember that um lovely i think there's other words used for it silver and pink number um from a couple of years ago that was in fact never worn i don't think so maybe this will be will be another one of one of those efforts here's a wee bit of statistics a wee bit of the old um, anorak stuff coming in here Lawrence because I've been looking at Celtic jerseys for a long time now um, firstly yes it is the only Celtic jersey the one you refer to the one with the the Coviet um, the Adrianian style one pink and silver that's never ever been worn in the history of Celtic Football Club uh, but also the very first time a Celtic crest other than the very first top which was a different crest appeared on a Celtic jersey it was in the middle uh, underneath the floppy 1970s collar there's been some good examples of it but as soon as this happened JP sent me a message saying that that's too low down so you get into the nitty-gritty of all that kind of stuff. I just think that when you look in the past, Lawrence, there has been occasions where the club have got fans in and had a forum or uh, a kind of meeting around concepts. New Balance did it, for example. And our very own Kevin Graham, I've mentioned this before, he was at this, Natasha, he was at this, this kind of fans get-together around a new kit design. And New Balance had various different concepts. One of them was a brown away kit, right? Which... Uh, I can get the St. Pauli thing. I get that because obviously there's the friendship between the two clubs. Um, and another one was the the idea of having a blue away kit for Celtic. And that was New Balance. And they were trying to sell it by saying that um, these will sell big in the States because sports jerseys in the States that are blue sell more than green and white and black and yellow and all these different colors. So there, there has been efforts in the past, but you know it's really getting down to that point where a designer or someone at the club, Lawrence, who maybe thinks it's a good idea to go down a certain line, the fans pretty quickly tell you and you see this on social media at times although that can't be a, a, a barometer of the entire Celtic support I've got to say um, can tell you when it's a bad idea Lawrence Conley would you be up for that yourself? Definitely uh, listen I, I'm sure the Celtic View used to run competitions to design a strip they did some, some members may have uh, got their cranes out when they were younger and felt tips <laughs> listen I, I, I like the strip I'm telling you it's a future classic that uh, I, I like for kit. I've been part of some uh, groups, but but not uh, not in strips at Celtic Park. Some focus groups it was on the pies they were going to sell. Believe it or not, so I was one of Celtic's <laughs> official uh, pie eaters that season. <laughs> cracking, cracking day out. Get in and eat pies for Celtic. Uh, yeah, I've seen the jersey to prove that uh, you were a Celtic pie man in the past, Lawrence. Now, what you're mentioning there about competitions, um, here's a wee, a wee stat for you as well. Two Celtic fans in the past have designed the kit that was actually made. And in the past, a Celtic supporter called Gordon Cowan designed the green and black vertical stripes original version as worn by Bobby Murdoch in 1973, I think it was. Um, and... Simon Weir, who is better known as the actor who has appeared in Trainspotting 2, um, High Roads and various other things, River City, etc., uh, designed the European kit that was uh, launched in, I think, 1986, which was the white one with the black and green. So two Celtic fans previously have designed Celtic jerseys, and that's the names of the two. And if you're tuning in, Gordon and Simon, I hope both of you are well. Uh, so I think the fan engagement must continue um, I was also thinking Natasha this is a nice link into the women's game mm. we've now got three teams a lot of fans I think uh, going back to last season the feedback we were getting will be concentrating on the men's team because that's what they know and that's what they're happy with and that's fine uh, we started having a bigger interest last season in the women's team next year we'll also have a Colts team and I was asking the question well you were quite right in what you said there. The third kit, the silver and pink one, was never worn. There's been previous ones that were rarely worn. And you know it's a commercial thing when you release a kit that's going to clash with Hibs or it's going to clash with Kilmarnock when they're in the top league or some of the other teams that we have to wear the away kit against. Um, so we release white and green instead of green and white and we still have to wear that against Hibs, for example. And I was thinking, you know, surely, you know, from a commercial aspect, it would be an idea maybe for the third kit actually to be the women's away kit. Would you buy into that? Yeah, I actually think it was an interesting an interesting idea. Um, 
you only have to look at Scotland women. They have their own kit. Um, obviously, you know, the traditional Scotland kit is there, but they also have the light pink one, which is which is only the women's kit. You know, it's designed specifically for them. And I don't see any reason why we shouldn't have a kit designed specifically for our women's team. Like you've mentioned, we can keep, obviously, the iconic green white hoops, but why don't they have their own away kit? Um in replacement of a third kit and I certainly think that you would see a lot of fans who are really buying into the women's game who are really enjoying it those figures are only going to grow so if we have a kit that is solely for the women's kit if we don't bother with a third kit anymore um, if we have this kit designed specifically for the women mm-hmm. then I think that could be a really big revenue stream especially when you're looking at you know younger girls who are growing up idolising the women's players why not have a kit designed specifically for them that they can, you know, buy into? And I, I, th- I think it's good. Um, I, I would definitely like to see it. And on the same vein as we discussed earlier, what about the Colts team? Are they just going to play in the same kit that our first team are? You're going to have two teams in two different levels of Scot- Scottish football playing in exactly the same kits. Should they have their own kit? Maybe something for the future that we start to think about um, because this sort of third kit design never seems to go down very well and it's very rarely used so maybe you we know someone innovative from the club here. someone from the club's just an idea that means we can release nine kits a season rather than three <laughs> uh thank you axon for that one but uh on the the subject natasha of the women's team mm. the champions league draw has been made Tell us a wee bit about that. I'm interested in the destination and where the actual venue is going to be as well. Yeah, so Celtic are going to play Levante. Um, we've seen that draw come through in the first round. And let's make, you know, no, we're under no illusions. That is a very, very, very difficult game. Um, we're talking about a team who only finished four points behind Real Madrid in the league last season. Um, a very, very strong side. And that league is significantly better than the Scottish League they're a lot further down their development process in terms of women's football that league is more advanced than ours Um, the money involved, the professionalism involved is a lot further down the road than the Scottish League is maybe one day we'll get there, I absolutely hope we do but from a Celtic point of view what that means right now is that we're about to step up to a challenge that we've never faced before. As expected in the Champions League, of course we expected that but let's you know, let's be honest the draw is hard and they're a very very good side um, Interestingly the draw won't be played in Spain, it's going to be played in Trondheim in Norway so the girls will be off there um, towards the end of August for that tie it's a one-off tie and then the winners from that tie go on to play the other winner of the tie in our group now the format that the Women's Champions League is taking this season is very complicated with with many groups and one-off ties but let's focus on the the Levante game first and it'll certainly be a big test for the girls but as Fran Alonso has said many times they're up for it you know they've they've shown what they can do in the league this season and they've shown the sort of fighting spirit determination that they have they've done well being underdogs you know let's remember they were called the third team in a two horse race and they they finished second in that league Mm. so maybe being underdogs suits them let's put nothing past them and I'm really looking forward to, to, to that game and a couple of interesting facts about Tron team. That's where uh, Harold Bratback was born. And it's a twin town of Dunfermline, of all places. Um, so moving on to uh, the Green Brigade then, Lawrence. The Green Brigade turned 15 this year. Uh, obviously itching to get back into the games. Um, when you look back on the 15 years of the Green Brigade, um, they have been controversial, they've been colourful, they have been charitable. What's your best memories of the Green Brigade? I think it's, it's some of the, the TIFO displays, you know, against Barcelona but was, I think, an outstanding uh, display. But I suppose there's been other groups before them, Jungle Boys, etc. Uh, there'll probably be other groups after them. But uh, I think it's when the whole stadium's energised by them, not, I suppose, particularly just they themselves. So perhaps, yeah, some of the whole stadium TIFOs would probably be the, the best memories. Uh, or maybe the, the charitable work that they do also uh, it, it is good. But, uh, yeah, you know, happy birthday to the Green Brigade. But going back to the women's football, it's good to see Kiva Keegan getting tied up with Shelburne after leaving yeah. Celtic. Mm-hmm. It was good to see that she, she got a club uh, so quickly. 
And I, I think, you know, a women's top would be a, a cracking idea. So, you know, it's just what I get for naming the back for my daughter. Should it be Tea Garden or should it be Galabadarichi Tea? They're both sound expensive in terms of letters. Jacinta, yeah. Jacinta, Prima, Dineva, Galabada, there You've we been go. It's a proper footballer's name. But listen, this season is going to be huge for T Garden. She missed all, almost the whole season last season through injury. Mm-hmm. A couple of games and then off to get married. So, you, you, you know, Aaron Lisa Robertson in, in the centre of the park are going to be, I think, formidable for any team we come up against. Well, we'll be covering the games that we either have access to, Natasha, or uh, are able to view online. Um, we'll be covering them on a Celtic State of Mind as additional shows, this additional live broadcast. One final word on the Green Brigade. Um, we only recently found out that Kevin Graham was part of the team that unfurled the Scotland Shame banner back in 2008. He finally admitted that he's in the picture standing above it. Uh, and as we know, a song of the same name later appeared on Mogwai's 2008 LP. The Hawk is howling, so big shout out for Mogwai as well. One of the finest bands ever to come out of Scotland. We're playing Sheffield Wednesday tomorrow, three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, season ticket holders will get it on the pass. Uh, you can also subscribe to Celtic TV if you're a non-Celtic season ticket holder. Uh, watch the game there, Sheffield Wednesday. Obviously, we've uh, we've just. Um, brought in two of their young talents, Natasha. I was thinking before we went into this game of other players down the years that have played for both clubs. This is not an extensive list. This is just from the memory bank. And I'm thinking of players such as Jim Craig, Lisbon Lyon, um, Chris Morris, who was also a right back and part of the centenary team, Paolo Di Canio, great footballer, let's not talk about his politics, Reggie Blinker, who was part of the swap deal or the trade deal, as Jock Brown called it, uh, when De Canio went down to Sheffield. And of course, Simon Donnelly and the late great Phil O'Donnell. Any memories of any of those players, Natasha? Well, obviously, being the youngest of the group, um, my memories will be slightly more recent than your Lawrence's. Um, but, I mean, you've started with with Jim Craig there obviously I was um, not around to, to see um, him play for Celtic but have met him a few times since and oh, what a man he is what a man I remember um, being at the Celtic stadium once doing doing a tour with the family and he was there um, and obviously he talks about being a dentist my sister is also mm. a dentist mm-hmm. so we spent the majority of our Celtic tour with them talking about dentistry. So that was um, an interesting insight to some of the other work that he has done. That's not what I wanted to talk to him about in terms of the, his, his work and his career. But there we are. It was um, certainly an interesting experience. He's, he's a great guy. Um, and yeah, what, what career he's had. What, what I love about him as well is um, over time, you know, we've we've seen the Lisbon Lions grow old over the years, obviously. I remember when they were a wee bit younger than yourself, Natasha, but we've seen them getting older. And um, it's just great, Lawrence, to see Jim when he's so on it, you know, both physically and mentally, you know, where some of his comrades have un- unfortunately passed on and some of them are really, really ill. It's great to see Jim and so fine fettle every time you see him. Yeah, d- definitely. It's definitely a character. A lot of stories to tell. I've never heard any dentistry stories, though. So perhaps you're all of them, Natasha. I, I don't know. I, I've never heard them tell, tell any. But uh, some of the players, Phil O'Donnell, debut at Fair Hill. Mm. Debut. Played football in the morning with him at the biology block at Holy Cross. also remember that. Uh, coming across to the Tutha Dad and Annan Celtic Sports Club, because Tommy Burns used to send a couple of players out for free uh, to it. So... Phil and Stubbsy were the two players we got. It was, uh, mm. yeah, some cracking players there. Eh? You, uh, you played with Simon, haven't you? Yes, aye. That's right, Simon Donnelly. Yes, he's the captain, of course. Uh, playing, yeah, that's a stretch saying that I've played. Uh, I've been on the same park as them. Uh, <laughs> let's have a wee look at tomorrow's game. How's Celtic going to line up I mean it'd be easy to say, well, throw the two new guys in, but in terms of where they fit, 
you know, would you throw them in or would you expect Natasha for them to be on the bench? I mean, are we going to be looking at a team that, uh, you know, is going to comprise of tried and tested? Is Ayer going to start? Is Eduard going to start? How do you see Angela? It's going to be an interesting lineup. Do you know what the interesting thing is? Is the fact that we've no idea because we've no idea what he is seeing on a training pitch as well with. Lennon, you could predict the squads. Even with Kennedy, after a few games in, you thought, oh, he's going to change it up. He's going to do this. He's going to bring the youth players in. After a few games, it became very clear he wasn't going to do that. So we could almost start to predict his squads for his 10 games in charge too. What we can't do is predict what Postacoglu is going to do here because he will have been using the last couple of weeks in training and who knows what he has been seeing and I think that's quite exciting actually Um, I think it really is I think it's exciting that all of these players are getting looked at through a completely fresh perspective I think yes obviously Kennedy and Strachan are still there and will have some influence or maybe some suggestions to Postacoglu as to how we line up but as we know about his character this is going to be entirely his decision so I'm actually really excited to see the lineup because I want to know who he thinks from having a you know, sort of fresh perspective on the training pitch who he thinks are going to be playing in what position going forward this season because I think he is going to use this game as a, a warm up to Mitchell and there would be no point in not um, he has to be able to see the team he's going to put out in the Champions League qualifier and playing in a an actual match albeit a friendly um, so I think it is going to be an interesting insight into, as to who we're going to see against Mitchell and so I think it's going to be a relatively strong team put out tomorrow um, in terms of of starters. Yes, I think we'll see a lot of changes. I think players like Uruhide and Shaw maybe won't start, but won't get some game time. Mm. Um, it might also speak to the fitness of the squad. We'll find out who is at full fitness and who isn't. There's various rumours circulating about who's carrying injuries and who's not. And So I think it'll be an interesting insight into that as well. Well, one player we'll all be keeping an eye on is obviously Lee Griffiths. Much has been said about Lee Griffiths. And uh, when you look at Ange Postecoglou's interview during the week, he was asked about uh, the new deal that's been given to Lee. He said that he makes his own assessment on players. So he made it clear that it was his decision to keep Lee Griffiths on. Uh, Here's a couple of things that interested me. I don't know if this is a a wee point towards some of the criticism around Lee Griffiths. He's not old in football terms. I I agree with that. I've said it myself. He's 30 years of age. He described him as a goal scorer, not quite a goal scoring machine. He called him a goal scorer. Um, He knows Celtic. He knows the league. uh, And he wants to make sure that his legacy at the football club is a positive one and that he's got unfinished business. Um, Is this another false dawn? Lawrence Conley, are, are we going to see the best of Lee Griffiths? Uh, let's hope, hope so. I mean, Griff certainly disagreed with the previous manager, didn't he? Why he wasn't playing last season. Uh, he needs to really turn it on if he wants any kind of future after Celtic or he, he wants another contract after this year. But I suppose the decision Griff wouldn't have stood alone. It's, we expect Edward to leave. <laughs> Who can we really afford to bring in? So, Andrew obviously rates him, but I, I think it's got to be taken in the round of we were sitting in terms of squad, how well served we are with people up front who, who can step in and what we would have got for the money uh, if we hadn't invested it in, in Griffiths' wages in, in a new deal. So, listen, I, I think Griff will go out with a point to prove and I think hopefully we'll have a cracking season. Being under Ronnie, you know, it was a while ago now, but you know, Ronnie was hot in his fitness and monitoring Griffiths' fitness. He played him as a main striker. He, you know, 40 goals a season, you can't really argue with it. Next season, Griffiths dropped down when Musa comes in at second choice, and then Eddie comes in and he's dropped down to third choice. So maybe we'll relish the chance of uh, playing in a pressing team and having a, a manager that's hot fitness and plays him as the, the main striker. Maybe we'll see, maybe not return to 40 goals, but if he, he hits 30 something next season, I think we'd all be very happy. Absolutely, and I think that um, what I would say is that we will be back for the Bulletin at 12.30 tomorrow. I will be joined by Brian Degning and Colin Watt. We'll also be covering our first game of the new season, Natasha. And as you say, it's exciting because mm. it's a wee step into the unknown. It'll be interesting, something I might do for tomorrow actually, to look at the first pre-season game under Brendan Rodgers and others to see how, um, you know, indescribable uh, uh, that they teams were compared to the team that went on to win the treble for example uh, it would be interesting to see O'Neill's first 
team that lined up for his first pre-season and how different that was unrecognisable to the team that, that went on to win the treble as well so yes we'll have a wee look at that tomorrow thanks everybody for getting involved uh, via YouTube Facebook and Twitter we are going to start building our audience elsewhere as well so get subscribing for your chance to be in the Axon prize draw this is going to be happening monthly this month it is a big platinum presentation for 2.1 million sales of the Verve's Urban Hymns it's cracking display um, and it is uh, it's it's you know, genuine. Um, it's authentic. It was given to the record company and we've managed to get our hands on it. And there's a lot of other stuff that we're going to use as prize draws. So thanks everybody for getting involved and thank you to Natasha and Lawrence for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iHeartResults.com for more sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.